So get this, a blonde and a brunette walk into a bar, bathroom, and become best friends and start a podcast. Hey, what's up? I'm Ashley Volrath. I'm Jenny Valier. And you're listening to Miss Independence. Welcome back. With all the recent events that have happened, we wanted to dedicate this episode to our Black community and help them get their voices heard. So we're bringing on someone who has personally inspired me by using her platform and her voice to talk about this topic, Gabriela Dei, the current Miss Wisconsin USA and a proud woman of color. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks for having me on too. Of course. Yeah, of course. Gabriella, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how you grew up and what you're doing right now. Yeah, so I am a 28-year-old journalist. I live here in Madison, Wisconsin. I've lived here for a little over a year now, actually, because I originally moved here from California, which is where I'm from. And I moved here for my job. I'm a journalist here in Madison. I'm a television journalist. And um I grew up in California and I grew up with two immigrant parents, one who is from Liberia and another one who's from the Dominican Republic. I I identify as a black woman because both of those countries have black people in them. (laughs) So um, that is my background. A lot of my voice and what's been happening the past week has definitely been about educating people on Black Lives Matter and why this event, particularly the murder of George Floyd, has caused such a upheaval of the people on both ends of the spectrum. So what has been your attitude towards everything going on right now? Your emotions, feelings, all of it? I wish that I could put all the words that I have into one sentence, but I can't. And, um, I've watched a lot of videos as a journalist of black people being murdered by police, a lot more than I would like to admit, actually. And I can honestly say that I've watched them and I've I've made up excuses in my mind that I think all of America has. Um, We've seen these videos, but they've never been as clear as this one. We've seen videos of black men being murdered, but we've always said in our minds, oh, it, it's too blurry. I, I couldn't see his eyes. I, I don't really know the situation beforehand. I, there weren't witnesses there. There wasn't another angle. Um, I don't quite know if he was even innocent. There's, there's many questions that run through our minds. And so we feel bad about the issue, but we don't, we're not outraged by the issue. And, and why George Floyd's murder was so pivotal and that um, apathy for many was that the evidence that backs up his innocence was overwhelming. The doubt that you could have for his murder, you couldn't deny that it happened because of the color of his skin. There were multiple witnesses there. The cop was able to restrain him, so there was no need for excessive force. He turned out to be innocent of what he was alleged to be doing. Um, And even the crime that he was alleged to have committed was not a crime that should have involved excessive force. And to top it all off, the police reports, the public police reports that have come out have shown that they did not describe the murder very accurately. And so all of that combined gives no one 
a reasonable doubt to not understand that this is happening all the time. This video in particular, his murder in particular, gave everyone a reason to understand that this happens every day and we need to do something about it. That's crazy also that you're um, in the media. So I know, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I worked in a news station as a sports director for one year. So very minimal experience, but um, I know that being immersed in a newsroom environment and just surrounded by, I mean, it's negative. It's a negative environment to have to constantly just see just not a lot of positive coming from what's going on and hearing all of the bad things, unfortunately. So and you, compartmentalize, you compartmentalize these things as a woman of color and you compartmentalize them also as a journalist and mm -hmm. so that you can tell the truth and that you can be unbiased and that you give people all of the answers that they need without a doubt. And if you can't say something without a doubt, then you just give the facts. For this, the evidence is just very clear as day. I think to many yeah. people, whether you want to say Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, I think the entire population of America agrees that this was wrong. Absolutely. And it's, it's also... It's very frustrating. I have a lot of friends that are still in the media, and it's frustrating to see people say things like the media is hyping things up or you just see all of the negative. But in reality, we're just trying to deliver the news. And, <laughs> and, and it's not us lying. You're just you're telling what happened. Yes. And I always tell people, I think I think that journalists are the messenger. And unfortunately, the truth hurts a lot. And that's why people are very hurt by what they hear because the truth does hurt you just have to take that truth and figure out what what are you going to do with it are you going to be paralyzed by it or are you going to move in action with it well for people who don't know or don't understand can you explain black lives matter yeah absolutely i i do not feel like i have i can give it as much honor because um it was created by two black women and it was created back in 2015, I want to say. I, I don't want to be very specific on the history because my brain cannot explain it thoroughly. But for people who are saying it today in 2020, and especially people who are saying it after this murder, what they're saying is Black lives are at risk. And please pay attention because they have not been in the picture and people have not been outraged about them losing their lives. I reference it a lot to the heartstrings of those who are very empathetic of the Holocaust, because that is majority white lives that were lost um, without people paying full attention and being in full outrage. And I say, during the Holocaust, would you say that all lives matter? Would that be your sign if you were against it? No, I don't think that would be your sign. I think you would say Jewish lives matter right now because they are at risk and you need to pay attention to that. And so when people are saying that, that is the that is the overwhelming message that they are trying to send. And I, I found myself wondering, is there a different way to say that to make people understand what it means? And I don't think there is. I completely I agree with that. People just look at the statement itself they don't really do their research behind the meaning of it so it can be misleading for many and 
what you explained was very clear and I think will help a lot, hopefully, to people that don't quite necessarily get it. I hope so, because I think that regardless of how you feel about the packaging, the gift is there, the message is there. And I think that we need to start understanding that the lives of people, the lives of American people are at risk. And it's black men this time, it's black women this time. And I can't help but every time I fall asleep and I try to get the image of George Floyd's head in a pool of blood out of my mind, for me as a black woman, all I can do is exchange his face for my brother's face or my dad's face. And that's a painful thing to go to bed with and wake up with every day. And I, I know that that is the plight of a lot of black people. And I know that that's why they're so outraged. I know that's why a lot of our allies are outraged. I know that's why a lot of people of color and white people who understand that type of nightmare, why they're outraged. And so I just, I can only imagine if we could all get on the same page as Americans and just understand this has to change. We have to do something about this issue, not work, not fight about the message mm-hmm. or the packaging of that message. What has been the biggest challenge for you throughout all of this? The biggest challenge for me is that I find myself in a position of privilege as a black woman. Um, and I acknowledge that privilege, right? Like I'm college educated. I have a science degree. I'm, I'm a former chemist. I am a title holder, which is already a select group of women, a small group of women. <laughs> All those privileges allow me to ignore what it's actually like to be black in America because what it's actually like is not glamorous and it's not carefree and it's not happy. It's sad and it's painful. And because I've escaped that through certain levels of privilege that my parents have afforded me, that I have worked for, that I have been able to heal my mental health to do really, that makes me feel very responsible to say something and say it loudly and make it clear to people. And that's been hard. That's been the hardest part to make it clear to people because let's face it, the way people look at me as a black person is an anomaly. And that's the problem. That's the problem that I am an anomaly for a black woman. Everything that you say is so impactful. It like touches my heart so deep. Um, But you know, you mentioned you being an anomaly, um, and unfortunately, everyone is outraged, or hopefully, if you're a decent human, you're, you're outraged by the recent some events. Level. some level. Right. Exactly. But in order to call action to everything that's going on right now, it, it humanized the situation. It really brought light to what's going on, how you guys have been struggling, and um, you know, I, I think it would be good if you're willing to share or if, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing an experience that you've had to deal with racism. Yeah. Whew. It's tough because there's so many to count. Um, the most vivid one that sticks out in my mind was me as a teenager and it wasn't the first, actually. It wasn't the first incident with racism, but it was it was the one that was 
so clear to me, almost as clear as George Floyd's murder, that it was happening. Like I was very cognizant of it. And it was when my dad and I were in the car, he was driving me to summer school. I remember it was July, July 12th. Yeah, July 12th. He was driving me to summer school and we were, we were in our neighborhood um, because the summer school was at a neighboring high school near mine. And an officer pulled our car over and he started questioning my dad, what are you doing here? Why are you driving in this neighborhood? And my dad said, I'm just taking my daughter to summer school. Like, see, she's right here in the car. And the officer said, well, I'm going to write you a ticket because you were speeding. And my dad said, I was not speeding. That's very, like, it was very clear that we were not speeding because we were able to slow down at the same rate of this officer behind us. He just, and my dad was trying to wrap his head around what was happening. And he said, can you please at least just tell me what speed I was going? And the officer said, no, I'm not going to. And you really need to be quiet so I can write you this ticket. And my dad just kind of like put his hand on me because I think he felt my rage without even looking at me. I couldn't quite grab it. It was so insidious. Like the the racism in that act was so insidious for me that I didn't know what to do except for react. Um, and, and what's crazier about this incident is it happened two days later with the same officer and guess what my dad did, which was remarkable. And I think it's why I, I practice humility with everything I do till today. My dad paid both of those tickets. He did not refute them. He did not go to court. He did not even waste his energy. He had a talk with me about racism that night. And that talk started with, you are going to have to work 10 times harder as anybody else. And even when you work 10 times as harder, you are going to have to apologize for things that you should not have to apologize for. Do it anyway. Turn the other cheek anyway. And take action in a way that allows people to understand your frustration. And that for me is why in the face of this, if anybody, if anybody feels attacked by this, I'm just like, my job is to educate. My job is to put you in the right direction. My job is to give you awareness of the issue. And if you don't want to accept that, then I'm not going to fight you on that. But you need to be very aware of the problems you are contributing to when you don't recognize the issue. Since you brought your father up, you had mentioned he was worried about you speaking with your title. And I think Ashley and I can relate that when you are a representative of a brand, specifically Miss USA or the Miss Universe organization, you shy away from things that you might think could get you in trouble or have a talking to. And I know your dad had mentioned something. He was worried about you speaking out. I just can't even begin to think about having to deal with that. I commend you and applaud you for actually doing it because I think a lot of people are terrified. You both know that struggle and it's really hard being a title holder because it doesn't really matter actually what your beliefs are. It's the fact that expressing them and knowing that they're not going, not everybody's going to agree with them is difficult because 
contrary to popular belief, everyone thinks that we just want to be like, I love everyone and we're all things <laughs> and, and I agree with everything. Like that doesn't, that's not what makes us title holders. The reason why we are title holders is because we are bold enough to get our messages across in the way that helps people understand. They don't have to agree, but they understand because of our boldness in the way we say it. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's my duty to say what I know is right. And in this case, I'm not I'm not fighting for people to say Black Lives Matter. Honestly, I wish they would, but I'm not going to fight for that. What I'm going to fight against is racism. What does this moment in time mean for the Black community? For a majority of us, it's life or death at this point. And I say that with so much intensity and so much passion and so much... It sounds really bad to say something that pivotal, but it does because when you logically think about this situation, if people do not wake up like yesterday, (laughs) if they do not wake up on the foundation of racism that our country is built on and actively work to change it through the laws that have continued to be in play since we were developed in 1619, we will not be going far because in 2020, we should not be talking about race. We've quote unquote come too far to talk about something like that. I just, I, I almost find it so baffling that during a pandemic, people are worried about the color of their skin. Can you imagine how many people have died in vain for us to not even be talking about this today? White people, black people, Asian people, Latina people, mixed people, Native Amer- like so many people have died. So this is not a conversation that we're having today. And yet we're still having it. So black people right now are at a very pivotal point, And I think that's why you see it so fervently. I don't think there's one person in my life who has not understood that this is going on. I think why it's so big this time is like, we're at a turning point. And it's not ironic that 1619, 2020, that is exactly 400 years to the date that we were founded, to the year. That this is like trickling and oozing out. It's like, we gotta deal with it. We gotta take care of this, like immediately. And I think you've done a beautiful job in our conversation so far, really addressing every point of just the current situation. Um, And as a title holder, you've held yourself with so much dignity. Um, And especially at a time right now where everyone, all races are speaking up and using their voice. Um, In the past, I know that a common question was, how do we talk about race without offending people? What would you tell them now that we're in this moment right now? Yeah. I would tell them to look inside themselves and figure out the reasons for why race makes them uncomfortable. Is it because of their privilege? Is it because of how white they are? Is it because of how dark they are? Is it because of where they work? Is it because of who they're friends with? Is it because of their family? Think about that reason and really break down that reason. For example, if you can't speak about race because you are a white person in America and it makes you uncomfortable, then think about maybe maybe your privilege is what's making you uncomfortable. Not the fact that you're white, 
but the benefit to racism that you get that you don't you you realize you're getting but you don't want to address so you have to as a journalist and you know this Ashley you have to break you have to break everything down to the root of the issue they start off a story with one point and you're like, Whew, I just broke this down and this is a whole nother story now. And people have to do that with themselves when it comes to racism. They have to look at the part of them that is pushing them to ignore it. Because once you get past that part, you will be able to understand that it's just a hard no for you on racism. It's just a hard no. And you need to address the thing that's stopping you from being comfortable enough to say that no out loud and preach it in your life and practice it in your life. Because at the end of the day, my friends who are not of color, (laughs) the conversations this past week have been hard. They really have. Mm -hmm. But once we've both gotten to the root of the issue, they've been like, you know what? I'm not mad at you. Like, I'm mad at the fact that I couldn't just sit down and talk with my family about racism. I'm mad that I couldn't just admit to the privileges that I have because of the color of my skin. I'm mad that I couldn't just admit to the privileges of my gender. Like, we can't solve any of the issues we care about, like veganism, child abuse, female pay gap like we can't address any of those things until we address racism because that's what our country's founded on and telling black lives that they are not human has excused every other injustice since then so why is it important for people to not stay silent right now because at the end of the day (laughs) i see america as a totem pole this is how i describe people uh, describe two people why I'm so passionate about this. I fight for black lives because I know that if they are eliminated, the next group that is above us is also going to be eliminated. It's a totem pole and black people are at the bottom of that totem pole. They always have been. We, we, we got taken from somewhere and we were brought somewhere. Um, and, and that never, that transaction, that one action in the course of our history as Americans changed us forever. And until like, it was like, we got brought here. There were already native Americans here. Like their lives were eliminated for our lives. And then our lives were eliminated. And then Asian lives were eliminated. And then Latin, like it, it goes in a totem pole. And so I do consciously believe that the more you benefit from that totem pole, the more you have to speak up. The less you benefit, the more you have to speak up. If you benefit in the middle, the more you, like, it's on everybody to say something because that, it's like almost America's hidden secret that we run on racism, that we were founded on racism. It's like our hidden, it's our family secret. We don't like to talk about it because we're like, whew, that's touchy. Like, because it runs in all of our bones, whether you're black, white, Latin, Asian, Native American, like it runs in us because it's it's generational. So we have to all address it. It's important. Otherwise, we will keep breaking down America until we get to the top of it and we won't have any left. I definitely agree with needing to address it. But I think a lot of people are having a battle with themselves on wording. And I personally, over the weekend, I was just reading and reading and reading and just trying to find the words. I drafted out about seven different 
posts that I could make and then delete, delete. I don't want to say it that way. I don't want to make this about me. I want to make it about our black community because being biracial, half Korean, half white, I don't identify as white, but I don't identify as black. And I'm like, what could I say? And how could I share my experience? And, you know, so I know people want to help and some some might think a social media post isn't enough and they're discouraged right. because we want to do more. So what can people do to show support for those people that think, you know, what's a social media post going to do? I think you touched on such an important topic. How do I relate myself into this? Um, how do I make, how do people are so afraid to do that, but that is the key to solving this, right? Like mm-hmm. as a half Asian, half white woman, you know what it's like to battle with yourself and you know the part of you that is oppressed. Like you, you know, you know parts of oppression and you know the battle with that. So you, you can't imagine what it would be like for someone to battle for their skin color because you already have to battle for your identity. That's a place for you to talk from, for you to empathize from. Ashley, as a white woman, white women in our society have been denied the right to vote. They have been denied the right to speak up. They have been denied the right to do a lot of things. That is the place that you have to empathize from. And maybe you have another struggle that I don't know about. That's, we have to take the struggles that we have and use them to empathize for other people in the situation that they're in. Like you don't, it, it doesn't have to be something that you do, you say to appease to a side. You have to say it because you feel it. So I encourage people to look in their lives and look at the injustices that they have faced and ask themselves, would I want to be killed for this injustice? Like, would I want to be killed for that? Would I want to be killed for this thing that I can't control? Because that's what black people are, that's what's happening right now. They're being killed for something they can't control. Like, they can't control the color of their skin, but it is what's killing them. That is eloquently said. And, you know, to kind of veer off into something that I posted, like, a few days ago. And I kind of told my story to connect with the audience that follows my account. Because if I'm being honest, most of the the people that follow me are white. So... How was I going to connect with my audience? This thing that I wake up every morning, I see all of these terrible things that are happening. I sit, sit and cry in my bed for like five minutes, come downstairs. My boyfriend's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, but literally, I was scrutinized in my comments for like a spelling error or something. It's like, that wasn't the point of the post at all. So I think that at the end of the day, also just taking into account that if you're using your voice to raise awareness to something, don't be afraid of what's to come or what's to follow it. Such a good point. You You have to be very unafraid of what you believe in. And I think that's why title holders and women who compete in pageants are so powerful. It's not their beauty that you're really in awe of, which that that's added in there too, but it's our, it's our unshakable <laughs> awareness that we are being judged and that there is going to be after effects of putting ourselves out there, but we do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And people have to do that when they're, they have to use that type of power when they're standing up for something. You are going to be shot down in life for anything you believe in. Anything. And you have to be okay with that. That's a part of knowing yourself and that's a part of 
loving who you are, sharing your beliefs and sharing them boldly and sharing them confidently and saying like, this is what I believe in. This is why. So Ashley, like I encourage you, I encourage everyone because I've heard this from a lot of my friends who are not black um, spectrum alike, like all over the spectrum. They're just like, I keep getting knocked down for this. And like, I, (laughs) I don't know how far I'm willing to go. And I'm just like, well, I'll put this into perspective. How far would you go if I was being murdered in front of you? And that's a really dark thought for a lot of people, but that is, that is the severity of what's going on. So you have to be like, you know what? I just, I care for humanity that much (laughs) that I'm willing to take the comments and defend them. I care for humanity that much. I mean, I'd rather die in MLK than die silent. And with that being said, what's your view of justice? (sighs) I've talked about this with, I actually talked about this with my director today because I told her, I said, they've been future productions um, as well has been so caring and Miss Universe and Miss USA. Like, they've all just rallied behind the girls with so much support on this issue. And so that has been comforting in more ways than one, whether you are black in this system or whether you are white or whether you are in between. There there has been so much comfort around just saying what's right. And um, I told my director this morning, I said, I feel better today because I want to take action. And the first step of taking action is being aware of all sides of the issue. So we have the police brutality side, we have the law, we have emotions, we have, <laughs> we have guns, we have all these factors involved in the issue. Um, and the one thing that I kept focusing on is police reform. That is that is the like that is the backing of this because police police came into play i want to say like the 1940s maybe i'm maybe someone older than me will correct me very harshly on that and i'm open to that but policing is very new like our like what we see of officers in in uniform and defending their cities and towns and states like that's so new you know to our American history. And so we don't quite, I think, have the proper layout that supports everyone. It only, it only backs up officers (laughs) at the end of the day. And I don't, I don't mind us backing up officers, but officers are there to protect and serve us as humans. They take the utmost oath to, to put their life on the line for ours. So if another incident like this happens, police, the hands of that person who perpetuated the murder, who did the murder, they should be held accountable regardless of their uniform. Because let's take uniforms out of this. If that man, I don't even want to say his name because it's like, I I don't even want to give him that glory. That man who took away George Floyd's life, if he wasn't in a uniform, just think about what would have happened to him. The law would have taken care of him to the utmost extent. The only reason that there's a barrier here is because he had a uniform on. So we really have to look into policing in this country and think about who is it serving? Who is it really protecting? I read this morning that there's very well a chance that this officer could not get convicted. And the thing that would, the thing that would allow him not to get convicted is the law 
because the law allowed the force he used. The law is going to back him up as an officer. So I can't get mad at the officer. I can't even get mad at the police department. I need to get mad at the law that's in place for him to do that. So people have to, first of all, read and educate themselves on police, like policing history, police brutality, and they have to educate themselves on what are the laws in my state for police? What are the restrictions that they have? What can they get away with? And they need to read them like they're protecting their own home because that's very crucial to you, whether you're whatever race you are, it's crucial that you know that information. And so we need to do that. And then we need to encourage people to vote because the people you're voting for allow for these laws to stay in place. They do. If you vote for somebody who is aware of what I'm talking about and they don't do anything about it, yeah, we have a big problem because it's going to keep happening. There's going to be more George Floyds. He's at the he's at the end of a long list of people. The last thing I feel like we have to do is we have to find our place in the movement. And when I say that, you have to not everybody can be a protester. Not everybody can be on social media yelling out loud. Not everybody can be a podcaster. Not everybody can be a journalist. Not everybody can be an artist. But those are all areas that we can occupy to get the point across. So you have to find your place and your gift in life that allows you to talk about this issue and allows you to get get it across effectively so that we can make a world ripple effect. You know, we can make a a lasting change. That's the only thing that's going to do it, really. Those are the three things in my mind that I know will change this. Um, And I'm still trying to find my place in them because being a title holder is not enough. Like me being on my page is not enough. Me saying this out loud at Miss USA is not enough. I have to do my job as a human being to get the point across. I mean, I was someone who grew up relying on police officers and often turning to them because I didn't have a protective figure in my household and in times of where I felt I was in danger, they're who mm-hmm. I felt comfortable calling. And I worry that those who have a similar situation are going to start not having that someone to rely on because of yeah. these types of situations. They're not going to feel comfortable or safe around police officers until we do something about the system that's the thing i want there to be police officers i just want there to be fair ones like i want them to be all vetted for this Mm -hmm. disease and this virus called racism Mm -hmm. like i don't want a racist officer because number one i'm on the losing end of that i'm a black woman (laughs) and number two i don't want that spread in my community i don't want that type of vitriol around people that i'm around and then we're looking up to them it's it's really very equivalent to the abusers of women that we see in power right like I don't want that person in power if they're not vetted for an issue that affects me. Mm-hmm. I want them there. I want them to like I want them to do their jobs, but I want them to do their jobs with the highest moral value. You don't want someone in that position of power with that type of you know doubt on who they are. And so we have to do that same thing with police officers. We can't say like we don't want them. We just have to make sure that they're out in our communities with the highest moral character, the highest. What do you hope for the future in five years? 
how will the, the transition of racism and the conversation of racism change, do you think, or do you hope? You know, I hope that we're, I hope that five years from now, we're not uncomfortable talking about it because right now we're just getting people to even say how they feel about it. Like we're, we're having a hard time doing that. So I know that racism won't go away in five years. I know that that's impossible. Our country is 400 years old and we still haven't gotten rid of it. But I think a good step in the right direction is us being comfortable with talking about it because as a journalist, once you start having those conversations, so many doors just open, like doors that you didn't think were even there in your house. And when I say your house, I mean your person. Like you you listen to someone's story and you ask them questions and you create this bond of trust with them. And it makes the conversation so much easier regardless of the topic. So I hope that people are less uncomfortable. I hope that people are comfortable with talking about racism in five years. Cause I know if that's where we're at, we're going in the right direction. And I like what you said earlier about just being open and listening and being willing to learn. I think that that's also huge. And we all have to black people too, even though they're being persecuted and even though they're, we have to listen in order to gain a common understanding. And that's what I try to do as a black woman and as a black title holder, when someone comes up to me and they're upset because I said all lives matter or because I said black lives matter and they don't agree with that, it's my job to listen to why and then assess where they're coming from and then explain to them my side with all respect. And if they don't like what I'm saying, that's another thing. But we really have to get to a point where we respect what people are saying for sure. Is there anyone that you recommend people follow or a public figure um, that has been great at educating? Yes, absolutely. Um, number one, Chesley Chris, our current Miss USA, is that's probably the number one person <laughs> that any girl in the pageant industry wants to listen to. She's a lawyer. She's a black woman. <laughs> she's a title holder. She knows what she's talking about. Um, there are also a number of poets. The main person that I can also think about is following following the black lives matter movement follow that online if you're afraid to maybe speak out about that at least follow at least follow the movement like see what they're saying um see see how they feel and then figure out how you feel from there a another person to follow is probably you guys i mean you're talking about issues <laughs> <laughs> That are important. They're, you're talking about issues that are important, and so I, I think that that I think that that's huge for young women and men alike. Like, look into people in your life who are talking about issues not that you just like, but that are just important. That are giving other people a platform to talk about their lives. And lastly, I always tell people if you don't have one influential person of color that you follow, even if that's a quote unquote regular person, you need to find one because you can't have an echo chamber mm -hmm. in your social media. Like you cannot, you need to befriend someone who is black. You need to befriend someone who is Asian. You need to befriend someone who's Latin because those are the people who you are going to gain real life experience from and believe them. Well, you have talked about such a hard topic with such class and grace and we so appreciate you taking the time to help 
get the message out to our listeners and our friends, how can people keep up with you and support your journey? Oh, I, that means so much to me. Thank you for get, allowing me to talk. Um, my, my main personal platform is I am Gabriella D. So G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-D. And then my title holder platform is Miss W-I-U-S-A. Those are the two places where I'm most active and where I'm usually talking and posting and saying something. So (laughs) I encourage people to go there. I also want to thank both of you for just, this is so uncomfortable. Like this is like this topic is so uncomfortable for everybody because we're like, why are we still talking about it? So the fact that you guys took the liberty to say this is important to us and this is we want to make this known that it's important for our viewers to hear too means a lot to people of color. It means a lot to anybody who's fighting against racism. Well, thank you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for having this podcast. Well, hey, thanks for hanging out with us. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we would love to have you back. Yeah, feel free to subscribe and give us your review. Hoping for five stars. Join us next time. And thanks for listening.